Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It's the end of February. It's, but the end of February, Bo, Jeff, what does it all mean? It means Rewenge. Rewenge. Mm -hmm. It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. And this is the end of Rewenge month. So we're ending it with The Lion King, the greatest revenge cartoon of all time. Mm. Hamlet's in the Pride Lands. I don't know. It may not be. Is it the greatest revenge cartoon? Uh, I've never thought about it that way. Are there other revenge cartoons? Well, isn't every episode of Tom and Jerry a revenge cartoon? Yes. That's what I was thinking. Pretty much, yeah. Does this surpass every episode of Tom and Jerry? There's a cat. Are there any mice in this? Yeah, there's a mouse in this. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh, look, you made me lose my lunch. What if we did? Oh, that would be fun if you did, if you redid The Lion King, but with Tom and Jerry. That could be fun. And itchy and scratchy. That'd be a good one, too. It's it's the Simba and Scar show. Yeah. All right. Well, it's Lion King this time around. We are ending our revenge month with Lion King. This month has been a lot of fun. We started it off with The Crow. Then we, uh, maybe a slight dip when we had The Specialist. Then we brought it back up again with Pulp Fiction. And we are ending strong with the Disney's The Lion King 1994 version. So we've got that. And then just give you a quick, quick preview for next month. It is, the month of March is the What Evil Lurks in the Hearts of Men month. And that is going to start us off with The Shadow, Clear and Present Danger, Natural Born Killers, and The Shawshank Redemption. Our Patreons will be, the full-length Patreon will be Rear Window from 1954. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I have not, you know, honestly, I have not watched that movie in several years, so I'm looking forward to watching it again. Do you see this poster hanging on the wall right behind my head here? I do, just to the <laughs> rear of you. Just to, well, hey. Hey, now. Yeah. I, yes. Circling back, I am a fan of Rear Window. Yes. It might be my favorite Hitchcock. Is it really? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Nice. Uh, so we've got that, and then our Patreon short is Felly Day, which I know I described this on a previous episode, and I talked about just how weird it was based on the description. I'm going to say right now it was it was an entertaining little movie. Hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. Okay. It's now, granted, it is an animated German film about a murder mystery involving cats and a religious suicide cult of cats. So, you know, it's not, it's not Aristocats. We'll put it that way. 
Right. But uh, I actually enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. I thought it was just going to be some weird little thing I was going to talk about for 15 minutes, and I actually ended up enjoying it. It's still weird and still quirky, but it was not the dumpster fire I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so. Well, all right. Yeah. Okay. A ringing endorsement. It was not the dumpster fire I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's definitely it. Slap that on the bottom of your movie poster. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so this time around, we are talking Lion King. Just a quick reminder that we spoil freely as we talk here, so be warned. Keep your finger close to that. Jump ahead 10 seconds or whatever button you've got on your podcast player. If we say something, if we're starting to talk about a movie and you don't want to hear about it, just maybe pop ahead 20, 30 seconds, we should be done. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave a rating, a voicemail. You could head on over to Patreon as well. We've got a link there on our website. You can become a co-executive producer on Patreon where you get those bonus episodes like Rear Window and Felly Day next month. This month, you'll get the Razzie Worst Film, Color of Night, and Revenge of the Nerds. Nerds! Nerds! Mm-hmm. Nerds! Mm-hmm. Which um, is what I... I say out loud when I walk past the math club that meets after school. Yes. And that is the right move. That is. I thought so. That's absolutely. And then, and then I run fast down the hall because I don't want them to beat me up. They might. I mean, <laughs> have you seen they some could. of those math kids? They could. Yeah. So, yes. So we are talking Lion King this time around. We are going to go ahead, and Pat is actually going to be joining us here. I know you've, you've heard Jeff, you've heard Bo. Pat is also going to be joining us here in just a moment. He had to step away right before we started recording, so he'll be back in just a second. So if all of a sudden a voice pops up and you're not sure who it is, it's probably Pat. Or God. Or, or God. Don't tell Pat that. He's going to, that's going to go straight to his head. And yeah. All right. Yeah. So, guys, I had this idea. We could, like, create this whole thing. There's, like, people and there's animals. That's like, let's do this. And, yeah. No, see, if he was God, he'd institute a lot of running, and that is not going to work. Yeah, we can't have that. That's that's when I become agnostic. So that's not going to work. This movie was released on June 24th, 1994, rated G. Remarkable amount of death for a G movie. Runtime of one hour and 28 minutes. Directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff. First did Open Season and The Little Match Girl. Minkoff did Stuart Little and The Haunted Mansion. Writers were Irene Mechi, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton. Mechi did Brave and Hercules. Roberts did James and the Giant Peach, The Little Mermaid. Linda Wolverton did Beauty and the Beast and Maleficent. Producer was Don Hahn, Beauty and the Beast, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, so Don Hahn did The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's interesting. That's quite the word there. It is, yeah. The composer was Hans Zimmer, who did Gladiator and Inception. He's okay, that one. He's, he's pretty good. I like that Hans Zimmer guy. He's not bad. Production company was Walt Disney Pictures. $45 million was the budget. $968.5 million was the box office. So, so they paid the bills. The, the little cartoon about cats getting, you know, revenge on each other or trying avenge his father's death made a little bit of coin. So good on you, that little tiny independent studio run by the mouse. Nice job. Flick Metrics gives it an 86, and Cinema Score gives it an A+. Matthew Broderick plays adult Simba. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And the cable guy, James Earl Jones, played Mufasa. Say it again. Mufasa. He was in a little independent film series called Star Wars and also in a movie called Coming to America. Jeremy Irons played Scar. He was in Die Hard with a Vengeance and The Man in the Iron Mask. 
Moira Kelly played adult Nala. She was in Chaplin and with honors. Nathan Lane was Timon. He was in The Birdcage and Mouse Hunt. Ernie Sabella played Pumbaa. He was in The Lion King, One and a Half, and Mouse Hunt. Rowan Atkinson played Zazu. He was in Mr. Be- Mr. Bean's Holiday and Johnny English. Whoopi Goldberg was Shenzi in Sister Act and Ghost. Cheech Marin was Banzai from Dust Till Dawn and Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Jim Cummings played Ed and also provided additional hyena voices. So the Princess and the Frog and Pocahontas. Robert Guillaume, who I believe passed in 2017, played Rafiki. He was in Big Fish and First Kid. Madge Sinclair, who passed away in 1995, played Sarabi, was in Coming to America and Convoy. So before we get started, a moment for some trivia here. And Jeff, I'm sure you are... You tend to be our resident Disney expert, so I'm sure you've got some trivia here that you got. You know that that's what <clears throat> that's what brought me back to the episode. This episode was uh, you know Disney movies, so I come running. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we kind of figured. We know your kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what do you got for us? Is there any really fun trivia that would be lesser well, known? So I, I've got a little bit of the the backstory yeah. of the making of this movie. So the idea starts all the way back in 1986. Uh, during a, while being out promoting the great mouse detective, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Peter Schneider, and Roy Disney, who were the big wigs of Disney animation at the time, they're on a plane having a conversation about Africa for, you know, whatever reason. And Katzenberg has the idea of doing a movie set in Africa. So they're already starting to plan that process. They hired George Scribner, the director of Oliver and company to be the director of this movie called King of the jungle. And then they bring on Roger Allers. He was the head of the story development of beauty and the beast. And they're named co-directors of King of the jungle. Time goes on and we get to the screening and rap party of beauty and the beast. And the following morning, a group flies out to Kenya to start researching to get ideas. And one of the things that they pick up on is a lot of things focusing on this idea of life and death and this, the so to speak, circle of life. And their guide also spoke a lot of Swahili phrases to them, including Hakuna Matata, which is what where a they wonderful the phrase. phrase. Mm-hmm. And they bring that into the movie in a a little little known number that that pops up in the movie. I don't know if, if you guys have heard that one or not. Somewhere. So a little later on down the line, George uh, Scribner is removed from the project. Just creative differences. He hears some of the music treatments from Elton John, and he's not a huge fan of what Elton John's trying to do with it. So you know they decide to part ways, and they that's when they bring in Rob Minkoff. And they're pretty much going to start all over from scratch. So the story is now being written and rewritten. They're figuring things out. And at the same time, animators are now taking part in animal workshop sessions. So this is where they would bring in live animals, specifically some large cats. So animators can get a sense for not just how the, these animals look, not just how they move, but just the weight of them and and how they fill up a space. And they use these moments to help really formulate how they want the animals to fill up the movie screen and take space in the movie. Hence bringing a lot of the real-ish looking animation 
to the animals in this film. Let's see. What else do I have here? So later on at a breakfast meeting, Jeffrey Katzenberg starts speaking to the high praises of Pocahontas and all the work that's being done on Pocahontas. And he starts downplaying the work being done on Lion King. We don't really know what this movie is, not really sure what it's turning out to be. This leaves a lot or leads a lot of staff to quickly start doing more work on Pocahontas and abandoning their work on The Lion King. Spoiler, Lion King ends up being a heck of a lot better than Pocahontas. True. I also have in here during this time, Nathan Lane comes in to audition for the role of Zazu. And Ernie Sabella came in to audition for the role of a hyena. And they're in the audition room together and they leave. They step out in the hall and come back in a couple minutes later. And they worked out this little banter between them where they're both playing hyenas. So this audition is recorded and sent to the offices. So then at a later time when they're looking to cast Timon and Pumbaa, they start looking at all their audition tapes and they come across this audition of Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella. And they're like, these two have such great chemistry. It has to be them. So that's how the two of them got the parts of Timon and Pumbaa. Hans Zimmer is eventually brought in to start working on the orchestration. He breathes a lot of new life into Alan John's already amazing work. And it's also Zimmer who brings in Lebo M, who is working as a valet at the time. And he's the one that adds a lot of the African music flares, such as the chant at the beginning of Circle of Life. The opening chant itself took about 15 minutes to write and teach to uh, Lebo's choir. Elton John, uh, at the first screening, gets very upset because Timon and Pumbaa are singing the entirety of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And it's not at all what Elton John wanted it to be. So after that first screening, they have a lot of work to do. So they fly back from Atlanta to California to get back to work. They land in California around 2 in the morning or so. And then before the animation offices open... Huge earthquake hits Southern California, and a lot of animators are unable to get to the office, and they're stuck at home, unable to continue working on the film. This is problematic because the deadline for the film is coming up, and they have a lot of work they need to do. The last month of this whole process was a whirlwind as everything starts coming together all at once. And this part I thought was really interesting, and I wish I could relive this moment. The first trailer for this movie, it's a teaser trailer, comes out on November 12th, 1993. And all of the research I could find lends me to, or leads me to the Three Musketeers being the movie that the teaser trailer gets Mm -hmm. attached to. I think I remember seeing this in the theater. Do you know what the teaser trailer was for this movie? It was ju- wasn't it just the whole circle of life segment? Yeah. 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 Black screen red words come up. This is the first or this this is the introduction to our next feature animated film. Mm-hmm. And Circle of Life plays and then it just ends black screen and it says The Lion King to be continued in June of uh 1994. I can't imagine what it would have been like to experience that song for the first time. 
and not like want to turn around and scream at the projection, you know, projection booth. Can you rewind that? Play that again, please. (laughs) But I thought that was very interesting for their teaser trailer. They were just like, let's just give them this song and say nothing else about it. This movie also goes on to be the reason that Jeffrey Katzenberg leaves Disney because of a lot of tension amongst the higher ups and a lot of ego involved. He, during the making of this movie, he brings in a journalist from the wall street journal was a wall street journal. I think. Yeah. Wall street journal. And he's kind of shadowing around and he's Katzenberg is really showing, you know, the process of making this film and this, that, and the other. And Katzenberg gets quite the write-up in the wall street journal and is pretty much proclaimed to be the person that has single-handedly saved Disney animation. So while that might be partially true, that doesn't bode well and doesn't really sit well with a lot of the other people. At the same time, or near the same time, the president of the Disney company, Frank Wells, dies in a a helicopter crash. And immediately Katzenberg starts vying for the job. And he just kind of came on a little bit too strong, a little bit too soon. He and Eisner kind of have it, have it out. And Eisner says, I know I said I was thinking of hiring you for this role. I'm not doing it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And Katzenberg then says, I'm out. So that caused Jeffrey Katzenberg to leave Disney altogether, but not before they finished producing the one of the top most incredible animated films of all time. So that's what I have in the history of creating the Lion King. Nice. I had a couple of things in here that I thought were kind of interesting too. Some of the rejected castings for some of the different characters. The one in particular I thought was kind of interesting were the different options for Scar before they went with Jeremy Irons. They had looked at Tim Curry, Malcolm McDowell, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, and Alan Rickman as possibilities for Scar. <laughs> I, I think the Alan Rickman All one... solid. I think the Alan Rickman one would have been fun. I, I went to the IMDb quotes page and I was going through trying to like read scar lines in, in an Alan Rickman voice or a Tim Curry voice. I'm like, yeah, I think that would have been fine too. Like Jeremy Irons is awesome, but yeah. Let's see. What else did I have? I had the, oh, the wildebeest scene. So there are a couple of different things in this one that they did that were fairly innovative, the things they had not done before. That whole wildebeest stampede scene where they were using the CGI images to create the hundreds upon hundreds of wildebeest that were in there, that that took, I, I read somewhere it took three years for them to put that segment together because they had to, they were trying to write the program so that these CGI wildebeest, there would be hundreds and hundreds of them, but they weren't all stumbling over each other as the stampede was happening. So it did take them close to three years to finish that part of it. I did read that they did create a special Zulu language version of this produced for South Africa, and that was the first time that Disney had dubbed a film in an African language other than Arabic. I thought that was kind of cool. And then some of the controversy I had read about this was there there is the film from Osamu Tezuka called Kimba the White Lion, and there were some allegations that this was plagiarism, and close to 500 Japanese cartoonists and animators protested this movie when it came out, and supposedly even Matthew Broderick himself was aware of the Kimba the White Lion movie and thought that he was working on an American version of that. 
the directors mm. have said that they were unfamiliar with Kimba the White Lion, and you know, there's nothing. You know, we didn't steal anything. There any similarities were, you know, just because we're using animals as our characters, not because we're copying off of you. But a do funny we know what the do we know what the story of Kimba the White Lion is? Like, what yeah. was it that they were stealing the story elements as well, or just the fact that they took a lion and made him made a lion front and center? I, I think that's part of it. Yeah, I, I don't know the full storyline of the Kimba movie. Let me see. I can pull that up real quick. Kimba the White Lion was a manga series known in Japan as the, Jungle Emperor. They're called McDonald's. We're called McDowell's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They have the golden arches. We have the golden arcs. Right. Yeah. Let's see. Kimba the White Lion is... Yeah, it's basically in Africa during the mid-20th century as mankind encroaches, the white lion gives the jungle's wild animals a safe haven. However, he angers nearby villagers by stealing their cattle and their food to feed the jungle carnivores. A professional hunter is called in to stop these raids. Okay, so no. So no. Story-wise, no. So it's the fact that they were saying, hey, we have a movie about a lion. You can't have a movie about a lion. And meanwhile, the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz is like, hello. We have oh, we have Simba. Yours is Kimba. But the, the other funny kind of follow-up to this is there is an episode of The Simpsons where they do poke fun at this a little bit, and they have Mufasa's ghost accidentally call Simba Kimba. So mm-hmm. good on you, Simpsons. That's that's a little funny. But yes, yes. So a little bit of a little bit of controversy there around the the making of the movie all right well the synopsis for this we'll give you the synopsis we'll give you the trailer audio this is i believe a little bit more than the teaser trailer it's it's more than just the circle of life segment but we'll give you the synopsis for this the trailer audio major moments and then we'll get on into some of our opinions on the movie major moments is we just kind of take 10 major moments of the movie cycle through that real quick just if you haven't seen it in a while or haven't ever seen this, we always tell you, you should go stop, go find the movie, watch it, then come on back. But if you just need a quick reminder, that's our major moment segment. So, in a kingdom where the circle of life guides all, Simba, a young lion prince, flees his destiny after tragedy strikes. Guided by the wisdom of Mufasa, the courage of Nala, and the humor of Timon and Pumbaa, he must embrace his past, reclaim the throne from the treacherous Uncle Scar, and restore harmony to the Pride Lands.
Okay, so that one was the the original teaser, the way it was done, just the Circle of Life segment. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that it probably was on The Three Musketeers because we saw that in the theater, and I I feel like I might vaguely remember seeing this for the first time, and mostly the response being, what is that? Like, I mean, it looks cool. I'm sure we'll go see it when it comes out, but I'm like Lion King, I don't know what the Lion King is. You know, it's it's funny. I, I'm remember I'm remembering that now too, and I remember seeing that trailer, and it's just like that musical number. What I what I really like about it, and it's different now. Like now, it seems like most trailers are like a little mini movie. You know, they all have that same formula of what they have to show and what they don't show, and and all that. And and I think one of the craziest moments on this podcast is I think we went back and listened to the original Star Wars, nineteen seventy seven original Star Wars trailer before it was star wars for a new hope but just the star wars trailer and when you watch that it doesn't give you any idea of what the story's about right right and it's so it's it's and i remember getting into a discussion about different ways to do trailers and this strikes me that when they did that basically all they're doing is building a world they're just showing you a snapshot of the world that the story takes place in like, you don't know what the story is. You don't necessarily know who the protagonists, the antagonists, or any of the cogonists are. It's just building a world. And, I, and I'm and i sitting here as I was listening to that song, which I'll talk about when we go, you know, deeper, you know, whatever the deeper, deep moments, deep thoughts section of this podcast that I've been on and I still can't remember the names of. But I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, how many trailers, like, what would it be like if the trailer for the matrix was just world building like that or a trailer for, I don't know, just I'm thinking of any movie, right? If it was just building a world as opposed to showing you a feature out of the story or introducing the characters or showing you some really cool shot that really, I wish they didn't. So it would have been a spoiler, you know, it wasn't a spoiler for, I mean, it's, it's just a fascinating way to do a trailer is just, you're just showing a world. I want now that you say that, I, I want the first trailer of The Matrix to be a simple, like less than 30 second trailer where mm-hmm. an agent fires a bullet at him and all we see is in bullet time, we see it the camera rotate around, he dodges the bullet and that's it. That's the end of the trailer, then the word the matrix yeah. comes up. Like that would be much, much better. I too many of the trailers nowadays give away the entire movie before you even get there. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I do love this. Like the old the old Superman trailer was, wasn't it just you're flying through the clouds and it's a narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a voiceover going, you believe a man can fly. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. That's enough for me to go see it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I just, I like the phrase that you use to the just world building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's all that the opening number does in the context of the movie and mm-hmm. without the rest of the movie, mm-hmm. it's establishing something. And just to have that alone, with that incredible music and the beautiful visuals, you can't help but say, I need to see more of that. Yeah. There's something there that I need to, I, I, I need to explore this further. You, you know what it is? It's really like, okay, so you know how spoilers for Star Wars and Rogue One, you know how when they described Rogue One, they were saying, basically, Star Wars Rogue One is the scroll from the original Star Wars movie. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What this just did was basically 
you know, John, your voiceovers that I know it's, it's the famous guy that would do that in a world mm-hmm. where blah, 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 in a world where blah, 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 blah. Don Basically what they did. Yeah. Okay. What they did for this trailer was just showed you the part that was normally a voiceover. They're showing you the world. Yeah. They're putting you in the world. They don't need to say where because they're putting you in the world where the animals are living in the balance and there's a circle of life and there's, you can tell there's, you know, certain animals and groups and what are they doing? And they're, you know, the elephants are all marching off there. These guys are all bowing down the lions, the king of the jungle. Okay. That's right. They don't have to tell you in a world, they're basically taking whatever they would write for in a world where, and they're just showing you that with music. You know, so it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, I would love to see another trailer that was like that. I mean, could you, I mean, think of something like, and now for something completely different, what would the lethal weapon trailer look like if basically all they were showing you was the in a world where, and they just show you that. Well, any, I mean, any movie yeah. where you, where you remove yeah. the narration and just let the visuals speak for themselves. In a world, as long as it's an area touched by the light, but don't go into the dark place. Why are you giving me a look, Pat? We're a family-friendly podcast, so I'm just not going to... It's, the, it's, sure it's what Mufasa tells Simba. Like, your land is oh, everything okay. touched oh. by the light. You don't, the dark place. We gotcha. Don't go there. Yeah. Gotcha. What are your you land. Yeah. I'm just thinking of bullet time from the matrix. That's worried, all I'm thinking I'm about. I'm, just, I'm, I'm worried. About I'm you. over this here. Is a, this is I'm a children's cartoon. I don't know where you're going with this. I'm confused. I don't know. Okay. I'm circle of life. Are you circle okay? of life. Are you okay, Pat? Do you, do you need a hug? We're all fine here now. Okay. Major we, moments, ma- major moments, John. What are they? There you go. So major moments, top 10 moments from the movie, just to kind of give you a fly. Through oh, what's so funny. <laughs> The way you keep John on task is interesting. Somebody's got to. I'm just trying to make sure Pat's okay. I don't. All I, right. First, first major moment yeah. is a lion is born. A, li- a lion is born. Rafiki, the kingdom's shaman and advisor, presents King Mufasa and Queen Sarabi's newborn son Simba to the animals of the Pride Lands, symbolizing the continuation of the circle of life. Mufasa teaches young Simba about the responsibilities of kingship and the circle of life, emphasizing that importance of understanding what their role is in the balance of the whole ecosystem there. Uh, Simba and Nala go off and explore a bit, leading them to the elephant graveyard where they are attacked by the hyenas. Mufasa rescues them, teaching Simba a valuable lesson about bravery and obedience. Scar, Uncle Scar, Uh, Mufasa's brother, who is seeking the throne for himself, allies with the hyenas to plot the deaths of Mufasa and Simba, setting the stage for his own takeover of the Pride Lands. Scar's plan unfolds as Simba is trapped in a gorge during a wildebeest stampede. Mufasa does save Simba, but is betrayed and killed by Scar, who convinces Simba that he is to blame and that he should flee. Hamlet, I'm sorry, Simba, now in exile, is rescued by Timon and Pumbaa, who introduce him to a carefree life under the motto Hakuna Matata. An adult Simba reunites with Nala, who informs him of Scar's tyranny over the Pride Lands and urges him to reclaim the throne, although he is reluctant to do so. After meeting Rafiki and experiencing a vision of Mufasa, Simba realizes his responsibility to his kingdom and does decide to return to the Pride Lands to confront Scar. Simba does confront Scar, who eventually confesses to murdering Mufasa. A battle ensues between Simba's allies and the hyenas, 
culminating in Scar's defeat at the end. And with Scar and the hyenas gone, Simba ascends as king with Nala by his side. Their newborn cub is presented by Rafiki, symbolizing the continuation of the circle of life and the beginning of a new era to be continued in Lion King one and a half. Which actually I have not seen. I have. I haven't either. Okay. How is it? It's it, it's incredibly stupid, but oh. it's fun. Okay. Okay. So it's it's the story of the Lion King told from the perspective of Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, okay. okay. The concept of that I like. Yeah, I mean, and like, I just remember like, there's a scene where like they're looking for a place to live. Timon and Pumbaa are trying to find a place to live, and they think they found a great place. And like, God, what is that noise? And they go out of this little cave, and it's everyone singing, I just can't wait to be king. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Timon has a line like, oh, great, we moved to the theater district. <laughs> okay, that's so, right. I that's mean, it, it's it's a lot of cheesy one-liners and, and stupid wordplay, but yeah. it's fun. It It's worth watching once. If you have Disney+, Plus, it's All not right. going to cost you much to put it on for an hour and a half. All right. So Lion King one and a half is uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, basically. Yes. Wasn't there a show, too, like Simba's son is like the patrol, leads a patrol or something around the Pride Lands? Is that is that one and a half that you're talking about? Or no, I thought this was something different, like a show. Yeah, that's something completely different. Okay. Because there's also a Lion King two. Yeah. Simba's Pride. Which I, I have not seen. Although the music is pretty phenomenal because they pulled music. So they pulled music from Lion King and Lion King two to help flesh out the Broadway musical, which is incredible. I can't encourage you all enough to go check that out at some point because it is a theatrical experience. I have not seen it. I think my mother-in-law has seen it. In fact, I think I want to say she saw it in Vegas. I've seen it a couple of times. It is just, okay. Still remarkable what they were able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a behind the scenes thing they did on um, WGN News when it was here in Chicago and just like how they do the costumes and how they do the movement of all the different characters. And it was amazing like what they do for yeah. to make that come to life. Well, I mean, just the, the opening number, you know, it's, you have, it starts out with Rafiki singing the, the beginning of the chant. And all of a sudden there's other actors in the audience that sing mm-hmm. more lines. And then, you know, the animals come out on stage and many times you forget you're looking at people yeah. because the way that they, the, the costumes are constructed. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, there's a rhinoceros walking down one main aisle and an elephant walking down another main aisle coming from the back of the theater. And they just, they, they bring the audience in and they just hold you in the show. That's it's cool. just, it's, it's, it's incredible. And then circle of life ends and the theater goes dark. And again, you sit there going, can we, can we rewind? Can you, what, what just happened? <laughs> Play it again. Again, yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Right. So if you ever get it, if listeners, if you ever get a chance to go see it, you probably should. I am remiss in not having seen that. And it's, it's like on the list. Like I cannot wait yeah. till it comes back to Chicago. Uh, it comes back every couple of years, so yeah, you won't have to wait too long. Is, is it on Broadway too? Is it like a run on Broadway or? I don't know if it's still on Broadway or not. Be a reason to go back to New York, you know what I'm saying? I mean, do it. 
Yeah, like every time I talk to you, you need a reason to go back to New New York, Pat. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just like, I'm just like, man, they're out of toothpaste at the local Walgreens. I better go back to New York. I probably got it there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I, I feel right. like I feel like they only sell Crest in New York City, so I, I need to go back. Yeah, that's 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 right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about our deepest feelings when it comes to the Lion King. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. All right, I'm not going to ask the question, do you like this movie? I think that's probably kind of a dumb question, because I think we probably all like this movie. I, I feel like I'm safe in assuming that. I'm just going to start with a statement. I am... 43 years old, and I cannot watch the Wildebeest stampede scene without tearing up a bit. And I think that that is probably one of the greatest moments in a Disney film or in any film because, by God, I've watched that a million times now, and it still gets me every single time. So the writers, the animators, the actors, everybody, phenomenal. Like that's one of the things I think this movie does very, very well. That scene in particular, I don't know. It just it gets me every single time. And that is that is why, and I'll just I'll say it right now, even though I was probably gonna ask this a little bit later, this is my favorite Disney animated movie. I yeah, it's up at the top of my list. I have a hard time saying it's my favorite because you know, you look at some of the other films that came out around this same time. But yeah, I mean it's I love this movie, I saw it in the theater, I think twice, mm-hmm. I want to say. I think twice I saw it uh, in the theater and have seen it countless times since then. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 such a beautiful film. It's a solid story. The quality of voice actors, you know, it's like John Hammond always says, spared no expense. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they didn't, they didn't mess around when they, when they cast this one, getting Elton John to write songs, brilliant choice. And it all just, it, it all just combines together so well to create this perfect, this perfect product of, of story and visual and audio that it's so hard for it. If I ever met someone that, that said, eh, I don't like The Lion King, I'd really want to be like, are you being that guy or yeah. do you have actual beef with this movie? And if so, I'd like, I really, I would like to hear about it. I'd like to learn about what issues you have and why they're issues for you. Because, this, I mean, after this movie, I, in my mind, Disney animation starts to go back downhill. Let me do ask this question. Did we all see this when it came out? Like, were we all kids or younger? Did we see it when it first came out? Is there anybody Mm -hmm. who did not see it when it first came out? Mm. Okay. No, I I mean, I was right. I was right in that prime age when all these Disney movies came out to go check them out and, and, and all that. So yeah, I saw it when it came out. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember when you first saw this? You know, I don't know if we saw it in the theater, but it was definitely right when it came out on video if it wasn't in the theater. I mean, that's... My understanding, too, one of the other trivia pieces related to that is 
I believe, and I'm not sure if it still is, but I believe for a stretch of time, this was the highest selling home video release of all time. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I don't know if it still is, but that was one of the trivia pieces I read was it was the sold 55 million copies or something like that. Yeah. I, one of the things and I think yeah. what, what also shaped my enjoyment of this and maybe why it's one of my favorites is as a kid, I did not pick up on some of the Shakespearean connections in this one. And I think once I did pick up on those connections and I'm not saying it's, I, some people I know would say it's, it's, you know, it's absolutely, you know, the story of Hamlet and it, in certain pieces, yes, it is. But there are also some pretty fundamental differences between Hamlet and the Lion King. But I would say the places where it is similar has only helped to enhance my enjoyment of this movie. When I when I kind of first started to make some of those connections, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is. That's so cool. But just to kind of see where they would have been influenced by some of that. And, and yeah, I think that just increased my enjoyment of this movie. I already love this one, but when it, when I saw those connections between Hamlet and Lion King, I was like, Nope, that's, that's even cooler. Yeah. You know, it's funny, John, cause your, your discussion of what really works for you in the movie, the scenes that you like and everything, boy, that I, I just, that's like a daily double for me. Like I, I exactly what you were talking about that scene where Mufasa sacrifices himself for Simba with all the emotional impact that you discussed, I, I, it's just, it's just some, some really excellent storytelling, but just some really powerful concepts, right? I mean, the idea of a brother killing another brother, I mean, you know, like that's, um, you know, that's like the big bad, right. You know, to pull that. And so you've got this character that's just like, you know, almost the epitome of evil. Right. But they, 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 you know, they make him kind of this sniveling kind of, you almost, not that you feel sorry for him after he does that, but before you kind of feel, oh, you kind of feel bad for this guy, but then you just realize, realize how evil he is, you know, but the fact that they can find the balance where, you know, you're not pulling your little kids out of seeing this movie going, how did that get a PG rating? That's too dark. You can't do that with a cartoon, you know, you know, you didn't have any of that because the movie was so nicely balanced you know, the idea of the sun also, you know, the sun rising and then trying to fulfill a destiny, fulfill the big shoes of his father. I, I really like, you know, like when he is still in exile and trying to come back and he comes back and he's supposed, you know, he's Mufasa's son and you can see the resemblance. They, I mean, you know, there's definitely the family re resemblance, but it's almost like he's smaller in a way, you know, he's trying to well, fill those shoes, you know, he's trying to grow into that. And it's just very powerful themes that they have propping the story up, propping the story up. That makes it sound bad, but like as the foundation for this story, I think is, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And that's why it's, it sits with you. It sticks with you, you know, and every time you see it, there's it, the emotions are genuine and it just, it seems fresh. And it's just a it's it's just a really compelling story. Have you ever seen? There's also a, a series of different videos I've seen online, whether it's from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever places it's from, where people's it's typically dogs. People have their pets watching that scene, 
and the dogs mm-hmm. actually react emotionally to Simba's, <laughs> you know, to Mufasa dying. And Simba, where Simba tries to go find him, and it's in all the dust, and and you know he comes upon his body, and and where the little lion cub Simba is, you know he starts to kind of break down and cry a little bit, and there's all these videos online where people have their dogs watching that scene, and even the dog will start going, start doing kind of like a little whining. Oh, jeez! I'm like, man, if they can hit <laughs> an emotional chord with dogs, then uh, that's that's pretty strong stuff. Well, you remember what they said in Scrooged. Dogs are starting to watch television. That's true. We should start programming for them right now. Yes. Because in 10 years, they could become steady viewers. Yeah, hence the Puppy Bowl. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I had money on the Puppy Bowl this year. Did you, you know, win Pat, any money on the Puppy Bowl this year? No, I, I did not. Pat, I think you're right in a lot of your summation and just the, the quality of the story. Because I, I think about the story elements and how perfectly timed they are. You know, you get Timon and Pumbaa mm-hmm. right, right when you need Timon and Pumbaa. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the, the movie is so heavy at that point that you need not only levity, but levity on a ridiculous scale. And mm-hmm. become one of the best duos in all of animated movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the what one of my favorite things about this film, specifically with Timon, is a lot of the wordplay. Thanks for your help. Hey, where you going? Nowhere. Gee, he looks blue. I'd say brownish gold. No, 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 no. I mean he's depressed. Oh. And you you get a lot of idioms that get thrown around in this movie. Not not just by Timon. Scar's got a couple as well. But I find a lot of humor. And, and that sort of creativity. But yeah, I mean, just when you look at all the the points in the movie and how dark and heavy it gets, you know, you need something to bring you up and you get Hakuna Matata. Mm-hmm. It's just so well paced, so well placed. It's really hard to find fault with with the story of The Lion King. You know, the, the theme of life and death is so powerful and can be so confusing for so many young people. And I feel like this movie really helps put death in a certain context that is understandable mm-hmm. for a lot of, a, a lot of uh, different age levels, specifically, you know, some of the younger age levels. They do a really nice job explaining what it means when something dies. They do a great job of explaining how to stay connected to those who died and that death doesn't have to be a bad or frightening thing. You know, I think just, you know, you get the scene when Mufasa finally comes to connect with Simba as Simba is in a crossroads and it's so such such a beautiful moment of Simba allowing himself to be available to the possibility of Mufasa talking to him. And in that moment when you allow yourself to be vulnerable like that, you know, the the impactful and powerful things that can happen to you. 
This movie just has it all. Mm-hmm. It has it all. You know, and that it, it, it's, it's funny, you know, and without going super deep and we've all experienced this in some way, shape or form, but you know, like, you know, if you've experienced a loss and it's funny, I, you know, was talking with some friends, you know, we've kind of had that in our family in, in, in recent, in recent couple of weeks here. And, and it's funny cause you know, people are asking, well, how's so-and-so doing and how's, you know, and I just said, well, you know, it's, it's hard when you, when you lose a loved one and that's, that's, that's struggle and you kind of are working through it. And then you say, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, my son has a band concert, my daughter has this, and then we've got friends coming over and then we got to make sure to do that. And I said, so that's kind of the blessing. One of the blessings of kids is they remind you to focus forward and we got to keep moving. Cause that next generation is, you know, it, time doesn't stop. And so it's, it's funny, you know, as you're talking about the circle of life and this, this movie demonstrates that, right? Like, you know, we ended where we began and now there's that next generation and you're sad of the loss of the previous generation, but now the next generation is, is the older generation. And now they got the kids that are going to be going off on their own adventures and having their own dramas and their own types of things. And, and I think this movie in a very accessible way for kids shows you how, you know, yes, there's going to be sadness and there is going to be grieving and there is going to be those things, but there also has to be that, well, I sound like I'm making commandments. There is that moving, you know, I shouldn't say there has to be, but hopefully you can experience that. Okay. Here's where I can move ahead because the next generation is coming. The next part, the next phase, the next thing Hmm. is going to be uh, going to be coming up. So yeah, it's here. He said the movie has it all, but wow. What, what incredible depth, what incredible messages and all in an, in a way that's super accessible for kids. You know, and, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I think this movie is the, the pinnacle of Disney animation and why movies after this start to fall off a little bit is because the stories aren't as complex the stories aren't as multifaceted, multi-leveled. The animation isn't as tight. Animation isn't as clean. And in the next few in, installments after this one, you get a lot more caricature type animation as opposed to trying to go for realism in the animation. You know, so like this movie is, it, it just sits atop the the Disney animation catalog. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of my favorite. I mean, it's probably my favorite Disney animated film. It's probably on my top three favorite Disney movies of all time. I'd agree with I mean, that. I mean, I mean, peak yeah. Disney animation for sure. Storytelling for them too, right? You've all referenced it in different ways, but it they really found something here that I think they've struggled to reproduce since in the, the, just the way it's all told. Well, they weren't afraid to, they weren't afraid to go where they had to, to make the story meaningful. They weren't afraid of the, of the dark moments. I mean, hell, they, they killed off the, 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 the Cubs dad, you know, and they didn't shy away from it. Like they showed like, he was trampled and they showed the dead lion body laying there. 
you know, the, the, the fight at the end between Scar and Simba, what you have the, the embers and the fire and all that, like mm-hmm. the way that's animated is it's, it, it can be frightening. It can be terrifying for some yeah. people, you know, they, they, but they went there because the story demanded it of them. They didn't soften it. They didn't try to, to shy away from it. They, they did what the story needed them to do. And I feel like they they start to dance around those moments in later films. Yeah. And Simba goes and I mean, when Simba goes there and he just lays down with his dad, I mean, geez, please, that just really, yeah. That has a, Boy, that that'll have an impact on you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Old I tear mean, ducks get a workout on that that whole thing. You know, when I think in the realm of children's viewing and and how death has been presented, the only thing that comes close to this, I think, is when Mr. Hooper died on Sesame Street, mm-hmm. and the characters had to teach Big Bird about mm-hmm. what death was. You know, and, and, you know, set at the time Sesame Street didn't shy away from it. They, they seized this opportunity to teach children because they knew the importance of young children needing to start to understand death happens. And I feel like the Lion King does the same thing. Death happens. It's such, it's such, you know, it's part of the theme of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that needs to be 100% sad. Right. Yeah. It's something that can be celebrated as well. And just because death happens doesn't mean the connection is gone. I feel like the, the musical adaptation goes a little bit deeper into how the essence of those that have died live on in us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the Broadway show really really hones in on that in a couple different numbers. You know, there's a, a, a number, a song called He Lives in You, talking about how the ancestors of the past live in us now and that we will one day live in the future generations. So I, I appreciate Disney and The Lion King for not shying away from from this stuff, but instead just tack, tackling it head on. Mm-hmm. It just elevates this whole thing to another level and gives you something really to appreciate with what they were able to do. So one of the last things I want to touch on, and if we have anything else, we can throw that in there too before we go into our three questions, but I did not want to move ahead before we get a chance to talk a little bit about the music in this and mm. i think one of the mm. one of the most fun things is looking at the songs that were up for original song best original song that year at the oscars and it's basically lion king lion king lion king two other movies but it was three three songs from the lion king yeah for, geez, and, and holy can smokers. you feel the love tonight one so nominees that year were make up your mind from the paper look what love has done from junior and then Hakuna Matata from The Lion King, Circle of Life from The Lion King, and the winner was Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King. And on top of that, Hans Zimmer won Best Original Score. For the, score the score to this movie is just amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to remember if I've talked about 
It might have been when we talked movie composers way back when, whatever episode that was. Yeah. But there's a, my my favorite music moment in this movie isn't one of the songs per se, but it's more the orchestration. And it's at the mm-hmm. end as Simba starts to ascend Pride Rock as the rain is pouring down. Mm-hmm. And and you just get all of the great musical, all, all of the great thematical moments that have been expressed through music appear at this point in the movie. It's just so beautiful. I love the music. And they use a lot of the orchestration as the basis for more lyrical work in the Broadway show. But I, you know, I love the music in this movie. I love the songs in this movie. I feel they're all very well placed. They they do what they need to do. You know, none of them slow down. What are your favorites? If you had to pick one song from this movie to say, this is my favorite song from this movie, what would you pick? Gut reaction is Circle of Life. Yeah. I mean, that opening solo, I mean, that just, holy smokers, that just, that puts the old hairs on end. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, 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 that's pretty awesome music. And then the whole effect of it, right? Like all the, with the vocals, with the whole group singing, it's just amazing. Yeah. I, I probably would say the same. I would say circle of life, but uh, I mean, runner up would be, I just can't wait to be King. I think that was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so fun that it's hard to discount that one. That's usually the first one I think of, Yeah, but there's also not really a dud among them either. I mean, that's yeah. the hard part. I think No, they're all, yeah. they're all very good. I mean, we might get thrown off the airwaves if we don't at least mention Hakuna Matata. I mean, that's oh, well, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> also fair. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is, what's your favorite song? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just phenomenal music. And you know, I do want to just jump back a topic too and say, Jeff, you know, you mentioned teaching Big Bird about death. And that this movie has it as well. And the only other one I can think of is is the film Alien 3 that teaches us about death when it kills off all our major characters. And not so much with the idea that there's a circle of life, but just the idea that life doesn't matter because it all it's all gonna just go to pot anyway. So I think I think if you I think that these really stand, you know, we've got three solid ways to teach people about death, right? I mean. At where's, least Mufasa made it past the opening credits. You know, we can at least to say that. So where's where's my camera? Is it this one here? Is it this one here? <laughs> even even when you win, you lose. Even when you win, you lose. That's right. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. That's I feel right. like there's a, there is actually a deleted scene in the beginning of Alien Three where the yeah. the alien queen leaves a message to the little face huggers that are popping out at the beginning of the movie, and and she says something yeah. like, "Didn't your mother ever teach you not to play with your food?" I feel yeah. like that was in yeah. there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's it. Well, Alien Three did show us how to kill a franchise. No, no, that was Alien Four. All right, all right, okay. It was Alien Resurrection. Okay, okay. I'm just saying, you know, I was kind of we splitting alien hairs now. Yes, Alien Alien Three. Alien Three. That went for the kill, the death throw right there. Alien Three. No, no, no. It was the booze. That was the booze talking. 
Alien 3 fulfilled the promise of a franchise. It came full circle. So, so definitely, Hakuna Patata's got to be on the list. Definitely, Circle of Life. When he's dis- when he's ascending Pride Rock, that's awesome. God, the music's great. I know what I'm listening to tonight. Now you've got me stuck on some kind of a weird mashup between Alien 3 and Lion King and a musical where it's Ripley is singing, I just can't wait to birth the queen. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Then in like a Rogers the musical style? Yeah, pretty oh, much. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I know what I'm doing when I retire slash get fired. The All alien right. busts out of the dude's chest and sings, oh, it just can't wait to be free. Yeah. 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 Can't wait to be queen. It's a circle of life. Oh. One dies, one is born. We continue mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, do we have it, before we go to three questions, do we have anything else we want to say about The Lion King other than it is absolutely amazing and go watch it if you have not? And if you have not, where have you been? It is a mess. And I know I came late to the party. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? A plus cinema score, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. 10 out of 10 on flip metrics or whatever else data we look at. I would hope so. It was not 100% on flick metrics. It was like, a, what was it, like 86%? That's low. That's it low. Is, there's uh, some tro- it's, there's it's a trolls 93. in there. It's a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Yeah. Dude, that, that's because there's someone just being that guy. Probably. Yeah, there's that guy out there. Yeah. There's that guy out there. Oh. Yeah, because it is it, it is a stellar stellar. The way the lions Jeff, the way the lions whiskers are depicted in this film is not realistic. It's just wow! This is just an incredible, incredible story. And you everything, know? That, everything that you feel from this story, I'm telling you, you feel more so when you see it on stage. Uh, I yeah, I like. As soon as I can get to it. When the first, the first time I saw this, saw the musical, I, the opening number started and then it ends the, the, you know, circle of life ends. You get that boom and the lights go off and it's black in the theater. And like I had tears Mm because I was so overwhelmed by what I had just experienced. Mm -hmm. Second time I saw it a couple years later, the, you know, circle of life ends, goes to black, boom, and the place just erupts with cheers. There's so much positive energy that comes out of that first song now that when people hear it, it's just, it, it's incredible. Yeah. I remember when it, I remember when the show came to Chicago and I got no excuses why I didn't see it, but I remember when the show came to Chicago and everyone was like, how are they going to, how do you think they're going to? Yeah, I think they're good. And then everyone that came out was like, oh my gosh, this was like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You know, I just, so everything you're saying, like that's one of my earliest memories of the Lion King, seeing the show, but then hearing about that show. Yeah. Well, what's that's- great about it too is it's, it they really wove in a lot of celebration of African culture as well. Mm. Like it's just, it, it's so incredible. There's a lot more African sound in, in a lot of the music. The, the the costuming is more traditional of African African style, not just the animal costumes, but you know, there are a couple moments I believe when the the ensemble is on stage singing, 
and there's, you know, there, it's just full on celebration of all things Africa through the music, through the costuming, through the dance. It's just awesome. Wow. It's just, it's just amazing. All right. So yeah, next time it's in Chicago, we'll do a field trip. 30 something podcast field trip. All right. Any last things we want to say before we head into three questions? It's excellent. Go watch it. Yes, have some. Yes, have some. All right. Now it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Our three questions this time around. Question number one. What animated movie would you like to see a live-action version of? And actually, we didn't we didn't talk much about that. There is a live, well, quote unquote, live action, a CGI live action version of The Lion King. But what animated movie that maybe has not had a live action version done of it yet, or cartoon could be like TV cartoon? Would you love to see live action? Specifically, the Disney version of The Sword in the Stone. Okay. There's been plenty of King Arthur movies. Yeah but none quite as amusing as the Disney version of Sword in the Stone. Yeah. Which I enjoy immensely. Ah. That's where I'm at with this. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard one. My, my answers were, my first answer was remarkably easy for me to come to, and my second answer was, I was like, oh, that'd be cool too. So my runner-up answer, not my final answer, would be going back to the, the old-school Disney well of The Black Cauldron. Yeah, I was there thinking that. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. see, see something creepy. My first answer, though, and this is one of my favorite animated movies of all time for various reasons, I would love to see a live-action version of The Iron Giant. Hmm. That is an outstanding movie. If you guys have not seen it, that is an outstanding movie. I love that movie. And it would uh, that would be a great live-action version of that. You know, I'm all over the place with this question. I was think I was also thinking Black Cauldron. Okay. Yeah. I also wonder how fe- like how feasible would it be or, or would something get lost if they tried to do a live action adaptation of a Miyazaki movie? Mm. Ooh. Like mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away. Mm-hmm. Could that work yeah. as live action or does it need the Miyazaki animated touch for it to really have that that feeling and that tone? My opinion on those is it it needs to be animated. I mean, I can't. I have a hard time separating the art from the movie itself. If 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 done well, awesome. But I have a really hard time imagining how you could have the same impact with a live action version. But it'd be cool. I mean, yeah, if you could do it and if you could do it well, then yeah, it would be awesome. 
The other answer I have here, it's a, a TV show that I've always wanted to see an attempt at live action. That would be Thundercats. Ooh. Right. I was thinking that one too. Didn't they, I was they, thinking that one too. I feel like weren't they planning a live action Thundercats movie a while ago and nothing came of it? It's always been out there as like, yeah. oh yeah, we're thinking about doing this thing, but it never, never gets past that idea, that yeah. moment of, yeah, we're thinking about it. Same with He-Man. I feel like they've been developing another live-action He-Man for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they came out with the new cartoon, so I wonder if that does anything with copyright and all that, or licensing, however that works these days. Have, have, you, guys, have you guys seen the Thundercats, the new one? Yeah. It was 2012, but the new animated Thundercats? I have yeah, I watched not. it. No. It was okay. Okay. I, I, I dug it. I really liked like how they kind of built slash changed the world, the characters, the whole thing. I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. I like the never... style of it. I'll say that. Yeah. The, it yeah. was definitely a slightly different style. And I liked some of the inside jokes they went with. Like <laughs> the two, there was an episode with a magician or some sort of person doing magic and you know, yeah. instead of like abracadabra, do you know what their, do you remember what their magic I, word was? I don't, I don't. Rankin bass. <laughs> Which is brilliant. I was like, did I just hear that? I have to go back and yes, they did. Oh, well done. Yeah. That was well done. That's awesome. <laughs> that one, that one was fun. Yeah. Thunder, Thundercats would be fun in live action. Thundercats would be fun in live action. I just don't know if like a lot of animated movies that come to mind have, or they feature animals. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you use the actual most realistic looking version of an animal, it loses something. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. the the live action lady in the tramp wasn't all that great. You know, you just sort of need that. God, I forgot they did that. That, that extra cuteness factor or like, 101 Dalmatians, the live-action 101 Dalmatians, wasn't all that fantastic. Glenn Close was great as Cruella de Vil, mm-hmm. but, like, it loses something when you try to do that realism, especially, you know, to like, because I was thinking, like, I wonder how Fox and the Hound would work as live-action. Yeah. But then I feel like a lot of what, makes people love Fox and the Hound is the animals are very adorable. Mm -hmm. And if you used real life versions of those animals, I feel like they'd lose that factor. Ooh, speaking of Rankin Bass. Rankin Bass. um, Rankin Bass. uh, The Last Unicorn. Mm. That'd be a good one. I could see that. We used to watch that all the time as a kid. Okay, I've got one. What do you got? And now I'm really bummed because I don't know if it it won't happen, but I, you guys, well, and I know I share that here. Like, like I love Westerns. Yeah. I love the idea of like, you know, the, the, I love Westerns. I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. John, a live action brave star. Pat, you've broken me. Yes. I, I, did I break the podcast host? Yes. Could you imagine how wicked awesome that would be? Uh-huh. That would be, 
that would like that would that would almost be like like the greatest thing since the Mandalorian first came out. Like I just I just had this epiphany right now. That would be outstanding. You guys know Braystar, right? Mm-hmm. Nope. Oh, okay. Bravestar, oh. Brave Star from the planet of New Texas. Yeah. Oh, come on. Okay. Oh, so, my God. so Bo, I can't I, say I do. Here's, Bo, here's what I need you to do. I need you to Google <laughs> Brave Star. Take a look at Marshall Brave Star yeah. and, and tell me that you wouldn't cast Robert Beltran as Marshall Brave Star. Beltran. Oh, wow. Right, that would just be awesome. Yeah. Two R's. Yeah, yeah, two R's. Yeah. And they were going for that weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm in on that casting. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to uh, know what's funny? What? I have not seen this show. But this is not the first time it's come up on this podcast, and I'm wondering if it was our animation episode or oh, something else. Oh, probably. I've talked about it before. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen these pictures before. Yeah. Still haven't seen the show, though. Yeah. It, it, like go watch it tonight. It is so good. Because you got you got Brave Star. You got well. You get the 30, this, 30, the, the you picture got... here of this horse holding a yeah. What appears to be a very large cannon yes. is enough to make me intrigued as to what's happening. Well, the horse can walk, right? Yeah. Right. Well, oh, in this poster, he then... sure can. So that makes sense. Yeah, but then he like converts to. Oh. Yeah. Oh man, he looks like some sort of cyborg horse. Yeah. That horse well, had a hand cannon. Like he... That thing was bigger than he was. <laughs> I feel like we're about to go down a rabbit hole of like mm-hmm. about to all of our favorite <laughs> 80s cartoons. You're like, oh, let's do because this. yeah, because yeah, let's yes. do live, let's do live a- action mask. Oh, yes, sure, yes. why not? <gasps> Dino Rider, Jeff, you oh, yeah, live action Silverhawks, yes, live action Voltron. Done, wait, live action Transor Z. Mm. Lost uh, me on that one too. You haven't seen Transor Z? No. I voice just went up two octaves. I don't think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> live live action Smurfs and make it a lot like the Blue Man Group show. <laughs> Transor Z. What is that? Oh, interesting. I'm sorry. Well, you, you broke me on Brave Star, so I'm still stuck on that one. Yeah, yeah John's Brave, still I'm, stuck. We're we're trying to get John yeah. unstuck here, and it's, I'm gonna, I don't like, know that we're helping. I'm gonna I'm gonna fan I mean, cast Brave oh Star. Oh dear. What did, did you, you find? Did you just get to that robot in Transor Z? I think I did. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That's the one. That'll be hard. Like I don't know how that was allowed for a kids' cartoon. If you, if that's the one. I, yeah. It's the one you're thinking of. Of course yeah, it is. The one I'm thinking of. I know. Oh my gosh. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on? <laughs> oh, you know what's going on. Oh, man. Uh-huh. Wow, multiple oh. versions of it, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and then there was the time, you know, and then in one season they got it where, like, it was, let's just say they didn't run out of ammunition. Uh-huh. So it was just like, well, how does that work? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh. oh, Lord. All right. Question number two. What is your favorite non Star Wars role for James Earl Jones? <laughs> now, this, my friend, was unfair. I'm sorry. Not yeah. sorry. I'm just going to say it now. Feel the dreams. There you go. That was, that was also my answer. 
I mean, Field of Dreams, Jaffe Juffer. Maybe Sandlot. Yeah. But I, I was I, thinking uh, James Greer. Yeah, I figured you were going to say that one both. That was, yeah. It's just so many choices, so okay. little time. For me, I'd have, to, I'd definitely have to go with Field of Dreams, though. Yeah. Terrence Mann. I mean, his entrance in that movie. Mm-hmm. Who the hell yeah. are you? Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell are you? And then that speech. Baseball. Yeah. Baseball. Oh. Yeah, that, I mean, geez, he just nailed that thing. Yeah. That's, that is also mine. So we'll, we can daily double or triple or whatever that one because mine is also and I'm just I'm, I'm going to put this out there just as a reminder that this is a man that didn't speak for a number of years right because he stuttered so horribly and was so embarrassed by his stutter that he just stopped talking altogether yeah could you imagine if we never got to hear his voice in any of the roles that he's done right uh, a distant last place would be uh, soul man mm-hmm <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, his far. performance in that is fine, far but distant. far distant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a knock on James Earl Jones. No. That's just, oh Lord, why? That's, that's a knock. On yeah, he's he's pretty amazing. And his just cameo on Big Bang Theory was pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. he was really funny in that. Me too. <laughs> His cameo in Naked Gun 33 and a third was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that's Phil Donahue puking into a tuba. <laughs> that's right. That's oh, right. God. Uh, don't invite Phil Donahue back. Yeah. All right. Did everybody share theirs? For the Pat, did we get yours? Uh, you know what? You guys mentioned all the ones that are right at the top of my head. I mean, I could probably go to his filmography and just say like, this awesome, this awesome, this awesome. But I'll, I'll, you know, the daily double, daily triple, the ones, everything you said, Sandlot, well, Field of Dreams, Sandlot, Coming to America, his bit parts, right? Oh, and Hunter at October. Yeah. You know, that was. James Greer. Yep. He, and he, I was never here. That torpedo hit that submarine. His little bit part in sneakers was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are the federal government. We don't do peace on earth. Goodwill <laughs> towards all. I would like her phone number. <laughs> Dude, this is a, this is the federal government. You can ask for anything. I know. Yeah. I just want I just her want phone number. Her phone number. Yeah. I thought that was such a sweet move, man. Like you can have awesome. anything you want, and you just want my phone number. It's pretty smooth. All right, question number three. What is your favorite story, whether from a book, TV, or movie, where a character returns from exile? John, you and I are going to have the same answer. Are we going to have the same answer? Yeah. On the All count right. of three. Okay. Go for One. it, then. Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. Mm-hmm. I figured, mm-hmm. I figured I John would say it. I wasn't sure if Jeff would come up with something else, but... Yeah. I, I was struggling to come up with something. I, I, I are the, what other stories are there where I'm, I'm sure there are. I posed the question to Katie and we came up with possibly Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Because Exile. He, he does have that reveal back to his family at the end. Mm-hmm. Exile is such a strange word. Like what does it actually mean? And some of it's in the in the eye of the beholder. Like you, you look at some lists and you 
everyone has a different definition of exile and some may stretch a lot. The one I came up with, but I think this is all recency bias. So I apologize now was Paul Atreides in Dune. Oh, good. That was, yep. I think it's recency bias on my part, but that's the first one I thought of. And I figured I'd go with it because it's out there. The only thing I'm going to disagree with you, I don't think that's recency bias only. I think that, I mean, it's a great, it's a great book. It's a great story. And that, I mean, in the original movie was eighties awesomeness. Oh my Um, God. The, the Patrick Stewart alone. in that movie is so fun. Yes. And so I don't, I am not, I love the original Dune movie. I'm saying that out loud. Oh, me too. hundred percent. But, but the new movie is amazing. It's so beautiful. I mean, yeah, it's just capital, gorgeous. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And now I'm all geeked oh, up because the second one's coming out. I <laughs> cannot wait. I just cannot wait to be in the seat for that movie. Okay. I know. I was going for something there, failed. But yeah, that's I don't care if it's thing. three hours. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like yeah. the example of like exile. Some people mm-hmm. were bringing up Alex Murphy and RoboCop. How is that exile? I like, know. I get yeah. what they're saying, but that's a stretch. Yeah, I don't think of that as being exile. Yeah, and some of them, just some of the lists were weird, but. I think of like, I mean, to me, even I, it is exile, but it's kind of a bit of a stretch would be like Yoda or Obi-Wan or somebody like totally. that. Totally. I mean, they're mm-hmm. technically in exile. Um, but it's more even... self-imposed than an external yeah, force, right. which is fine. But like someone put Thor on the list. I'm like, he was an, I mean, but mostly wasn't that yeah. his own doing like, <laughs> well, it was kind of a, it was kind of a punishment. Yeah, I suppose. And his power is taken away. And... Oh, that's okay. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that one. I was thinking more in a different, in a different movie when he, Got lazy and fat, but you're right. Oh, first, okay. first movie, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. I'd also say Captain America, end of Civil War to Infinity War. Yeah. Like, I, I okay. thought that, yeah. I mean, that and, and I'll tell you, here's spoilers for the Avengers Infinity War. When he's, when they're, spoilers, when they're at the train station and Vision is getting, and uh, Wanda Maximoff are getting their uh, tails handed to him by the weird dudes and the weird dudette from, you know, Thanos' children, and all of a sudden, there's the train goes by, and he just comes walking out. Man, I'll tell you, what's oh shoot? What's the actor's name? Chris. Chris Evans. Evans. Chris Evans. Right. I was like going through Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, Chris. <laughs> all um, the Chris's. Chris Anthemum, whatever. Anyways, Chris he comes walking. Chris Anthemum is my favorite. Chris Anthemum. Wasn't that the big Wookiee and Boba Fett? Chris Anton. Well, same. Okay. Yeah. Close so enough. the point when 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 Captain America comes comes walking out of the shadows, the look and he's got the beard and the look on his face is just I I have to watch that at least ten times in a row because he absolutely nails that look. And in a movie full of CGI and special effects and all that, if you want to say, well, you know, I don't know that the Marvel movies really have a little, yeah. Watch him come walking out of the shadows. Like, I challenge you to find someone that looks more like a, you know. Just a what Samuel L. Jackson had written on his wallet in Pulp Fiction. That's what <laughs> Captain America is in that scene, walking out of exile, just with this look on his face of like, what are you doing on my planet? Like, I mean, it is it is awesome. 
watching him come back from that. I, I just, I, I, that's awesome. The only way that's, that's going to awesome. be surpassed is when we get live action Marshall Bravestar. Oh, I know. Yeah. Marshall Bravestar. Oh, gosh. All right. Oh, that's going to do it for this one, folks. So, one more. Gladiator. 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. Gladiator. Gladiator. That was the one I meant to. Yeah. What about Bruce Wayne going off and learning? Yes. Mm, Yeah. Coming back. Yeah. Could be be from Batman Begins. Could also be from Dark Knight Rises. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm out of ideas. Yeah. No, no. Those are awesome. All right. Well, our next episode's coming up. We are moving on into the month of March, coming up here soon. So what it's what evil lurks in the hearts of men month. We've got The Shadow, Clear and Present Danger, Natural Born Killers, The Shawshank Redemption. Our Patreon episodes are Rear Window from 1954 and Felide from 1994 is the Patreon short. And then in April, it is our Sci-Fi Month. Our Patreon episodes then are the Patreon short is Oblivion from 1994 and Starman from 1984 is the full-length Patreon that month. Uh, regular episodes in the month of April are Stargate, Star Trek Generations, Time Cop, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So we got some good good stuff coming up. But as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I had a lot of fun talking. And Jeff, it had been a while since we had you on, so I was glad that we had a Disney movie coming up because we know that we can always get you out and uh, you know, get you out of exile with a good Disney movie. So. Yeah, no, this was great. And I'm looking forward to hopefully joining you guys for Shawshank. Yeah. And definitely Rear Window. Yeah. Yeah, I am really looking forward to that. Like I said before, I haven't seen that one in quite a while. So I'm I'm just looking forward to watching it, much less talking about it. So good. Yeah. Love that movie. All right. Thank you, Joe. Bo. Joe. Why did I call you Joe? Your name is Jeff. We, we have a Joe now. I, I blended you and to... Bo together, basically. It was a transporter accident, and now you're, you're, now you're Joe. Oh, boy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> have mercy now we've got that. Oh, boy. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I too vixed you. It's... I, uh, oh, I've been God. Called no. I've been called worse. Please. Right. And now uh, if we split them, then, then Joe, now oh, there's the whole moral just, conundrum. I know, and just don't look at the back of Joe's head. It's just disturbing. Oof. Oh, yeah. Scary, scary stuff. Yeah. Pat, oh, I haven't boy. blended you with anybody, so thanks for being here, Pat. Hey, I do what well, I can. Pat. You know, you could yeah, try to blend with all Pat of that. and Dennis, but you got to be real careful with what you call that creature. Hey, oh. Dad? <laughs> yeah. Dennis? 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 Yeah. Are you thinking? Dennis? I'm Dennis? <laughs> sure. Because that's how you would say it. Sure. Why not? If there's two ends, how else would you say it? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you can just, you have to be real careful how you name it, or you just throw caution to the wind, you know, and you go right for it. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I dropped something in the chat that I didn't want to say out loud, so. <laughs> Family-friendly podcast. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we have oh. derailed. <laughs> oh, we'll just, oh yeah. boy. We'll, we'll let the people wonder. Uh, I wonder, right. wonder. Uh, we were talking about a children's movie this episode, weren't we? <laughs> Someone said we were. I, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah, that's, that's the rumor. 
All right. <laughs> well, thank you for Pat just left. He <laughs> he had enough and, and he left. he's spent. <laughs> and Pat's out. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for being here. We'll see if we come back next time, who knows. We will see you back here next time. Back. If they haven't booted us from all the podcast right. hosting platforms. Yeah, no, these guys are done. All right. Everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Try not to blend your friends' names together. It does not work out well. And we'll see you back here next time.